Testing. <laughs> okay, what is going on, ladies and gents? Welcome back to a brand new video, um, a brand new episode of the number one student podcast in the world, the student podcast. Today we're here with Stephen Drew. Um, Hello. To quickly introduce yourself. Hi, sure. So I'm Stephen Drew. I am head of architecture and design at McDonald Company, and uh, I am also involved in a new community platform called the Architecture Social. So I used to be a part two architectural assistant. I got my part one at Westminster and part two at Manchester, and I worked for three years in the industry at AJ100, a practice called EPR Architects, really great company. And from there, I moved to recruitment. So for the last six years, what I do is I help everyone from part one part two right the way up to associate directors part one's typically you need to help yourself get in the stream but part two is definitely onwards that's what i specialize in awesome so we've got a very exciting podcast i think today we're going to dive into um, a lot of topics and kind of try and um, pick steven's brain about recruitment and applications and find positions in the kind of architecture field as of obviously those guys um, during summer are looking for a position and obviously we're all a bit uncertain on the current situation with the coronavirus etc and it's going to be um, a difficult time to find a job so I've got mm. little questions here which I'm just going to fire away at you and just and just hope that we can discuss a little further so the first okay. first one we've got is what are the key features in creating an application this is Whoa. an architecture application this is a this is a big question but we're trying a big question We'll, we'll, we'll narrow it down. Okay, so good point. So we were in the, we were in a bit of a difficult recession, um, COVID scenario right now. So applications, uh, there's two types of forms. They could be a job online, which could be a written job or a speculative. You have to, there's probably not going to be many written jobs right now, so assume everything's speculative. So what you want to do is you want to start approaching companies and a very typical way to do it and the easiest way to do it is Yes, it's nice to hand deliver your CV and portfolio in a beautiful non-COVID world where we don't have to run around in a mask and knock on the doors. Everyone's working remote. I would say that the best thing to do right now in an application is to get uh, your an email, which is short and sweet, not too long. And you can put a cover letter. You don't want to repeat what's in the email. And that shouldn't be too long either. That should be a breeze to go through. And you want a CV and a portfolio. And a CV, typically for me, is about two pages. I think that's a nice length for people who don't start going to sleep. And uh, a, a portfolio, think of it as a sample portfolio online. It's a, it's a bit like fishing. You want to get their attention. You want to play the game. You don't want to give away too much, but you want to get enough. And so that could be anything from five to 15 pages. And that is typically what I define as a good application. Yeah, yeah, good points. So I think um, the important thing about the CV is that you don't ramble on. Like you don't, you don't need to show and describe your whole life and everything that's happened yeah. in life. I think it's really important to keep it short and sweet. Um, and like Stephen said, you can obviously very easily be looking through CVs and reading CVs and get bored and and just kind of disregard CVs if they're a bit too long and um, kind of drag on a little bit. Um, so what what do you think about having photos on a CV, like a photo of yourself? Do you think it's very professional? Because there's obviously mixed, there's mixed questions about this, and I've got my opinion, but. It's subjective. It's subjective. And I had a chat with Martin Andrews, who's a professor, about this, and it, it can go really either way, because uh, I never did 
I've seen sometimes with a CV, it can be fine. The thing is, though, it's about taste. And the, 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 the image can be something where maybe a small image, a professional image, it can, it can be fine. At the same time, though, what you're doing is you're allowing the opportunity for people to then build unconscious biases. And it can go either way. The bias can be like, oh, yeah, this Tom guy, I've seen him online. He's cool. Let's get him in. Let's get him in, right? Or it can be another way, which you don't even know. And that's the risk. So it's one of them things of sometimes it can be nice and friendly. Sometimes it can go the other way. So it's probably safer not to do an, uh, an image. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I personally agree because initially when I was putting together my CV, I've had, I've, this year I've probably done eight different types of my CV and really kind of developing it and, and chipping and, and kind of chipping away at it. And the first kind of few, I had a picture of me and I spoke to a couple of people and I, I personally think it kind of makes it not as professional. Um, and also it, in some ways I've seen people that have got a picture of them, which takes up half of the, the CV yeah. way too dominant. It takes away from the information that you're trying to um, provide to the reader and it kind of just completely distracts you. So I think if you were to use a picture, keep it short, keep it small. Um, try not to kind of take away from the, um, the actual information that you are trying to get across within your CV. So, um, yeah. yeah, the work should speak for itself, Tom. And the reality is you want them to meet you in an interview and kind of, you want to, you want to speak with them really. And that's the thing with the picture that sometimes the person makes the bias and they, they don't really want to ring you. The best thing to do is to send you a CV and follow up with a call. That's a lot more personal than a picture. A picture can't speak. Yeah. Uh, the, in the interview, you're the one that's going to convince the person to get the job. Yeah. And I also think something else with applications in sending off a CV, a cover letter, a portfolio, I think it's also interesting if you could then send off a couple more things, like a little, um, little kind of teasers that are going to entice people into your profile more. So, for example, you could have like an interactive business card, which you could send, which would be like a small um, kind of file size. And obviously in this world where we can't go out there and hand out CVs and hand out business cards and introduce ourselves, you obviously got to find innovative ways to get yourself out there and get yourself across and get your personality and your skills across um, in an yeah. innovative way across through uh, digital uh, platform. You're definitely onto something. It's definitely good to stand out. What you've got to do, though, is make sure that the basics are right. What we don't want is this super virtual CV and portfolio, and then uh, Janine in the office prints it out, and it doesn't work, right? Yeah. So what you need to do is we've got to imagine that it works in the old-school way, and then you want that interactive PDF or you want that video so that it's like the, the, the core should always be strong. And then it's just like that little, little cherry on the top with yeah. your little video or something where you, maybe you have, I'm just thinking out loud with yourself that you could have one of them scanny things. Well, what's the name of that? But you got your phone and then maybe it goes to a private YouTube channel. And you're like, Hey, thank you so much for your CV. For looking at my CV and portfolio. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm here. I'm available. And then people go, wow, this is like a, this is like an Easter egg in a film. I found something which, you know, it's like GTA or something like that where you find something hidden at the end of the level. And that's really nice. Where it will go wrong though, is if you send like a 30 meg file or a video and you expect people to open it because they want, and you need to make sure that 
there's the CV and portfolio. So you want old meets new. You need to make sure that they all works, and then you have like an innovative twist on it, which catches people's attentions. Yeah, hundred percent. Because I, um, with my application, I actually did an interactive business card where you could actually click on the business card and it would go to my website. Um, so it's, it's quite easy and quick to do them as well. Just an interactive PDF. Um, I think it's just those little those little things just to add to your application to kind of stand you out from the rest, especially in this kind of digital age. I agree. The thing is, though, as well, I've seen your CV portfolio. They're strong as it is. And then you've got the other stuff on top. And you're right. It, it, to stand out, though, is important. And I think this is where you're going with this. It's just like, how can you stand out? The thing is, though, you've got to make sure that the basics are correct. And then it's like, how do you get pe- people's attention? And one of the things that I keep talking about on... The, the, the videos we do when, when we were when, when we're going into these in webinars and so forth is the reality is the person that's going to be selling this is you right as in and you're the best person and you're going to be the biggest influence in getting this and so ringing up and doing stuff that you're on about, about doing things a little bit out of the box or calling up the company and making an effort being personable and being open and, and taking a phone call that is what's going to get you a job and and what you can't do is sometimes you can't wait around for them you send your cv and portfolio but definitely follow up because especially now in this current climate there's a lot of applications tom so you, and what you don't want to do is someone can think you're great and then they they might forget in a day or two, and then they've had another CV. So you've got to constantly yeah. re-emerge, and you've got to constantly engage with them until you find out an answer one way or another. Yeah. Okay. So if you were to get a reply back, and um, you were to be ex- uh, successful with your application and get an interview, what are some key points that you think are really important to get across in an interview? I know you've discussed this in your webinar. Mm-hmm. Um, just fine. to kind of sum that up um, on the podcast, that would be that would be great. Great. So when you get the interview, enjoy the moment for a start. It's like, <laughs> hey, you're you're up with it, and you know, and you know the formula is working right, which is great because receiving portfolios about feedback. So we know now that you're onto something. Those are people want to meet you, so that's fantastic. So have a deep breath. Now, don't go neck on a bottle of wine or anything. You want to now is the time to sit down and kind of get your battle strategy. So the short version. Because like you said, I've gone into this in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a wider sense. The short version is, right, it's who, what, where, when, why. Both ways. So you want to totally now, you're going to go research mode. We're going to go mission impossible. We're going to go through that company. And you're going to know everything about it. Yep. You're going to know it from when it started, where they based, ideally what software they've used, how they look at a few job vacancies and stuff like that. Find out all the information you can, any news, any planning, go on LinkedIn, see how many employees have got there and all this stuff so that you feel equipped that you understand that company. Because when you're going to meet them, you need to convey to them why you want to work there. And actually in the process of learning this company, you're going to get invested and excited, which is good. And then on the other end, you want to prepare yourself. So you want to talk about your any work you've done in industry, any volunteering work, any stuff like that, any practical things like Revit, any technical models, you want to do that. And so you want to showcase all that stuff with your academic work and you want to give an overview. So when we talked about a portfolio that you're going to send online being a bit shorter, imagine this is like the big discography of work. So this is what you're going to show. And it's the same thing you want about talk. What we don't want is for you to go to an interview and it's like Lord of the Rings. And the guys there like, oh, I gotta go home in a bit, and you just—we're on page three. This is gonna be a nightmare. So now you've got to rehearse it, and you've got to go through it. So think about the interview, and think about the sheets, and think about 
uh, like a Pecha Kucha. Have you ever heard of that? I always yeah. call them, I think of them like P- Pikachu yeah. or something, but you know what I mean? You basically, yeah. you get this. 10 minute presentations, yeah. yeah. 10 minute presentation, 20 seconds a slide, and it's brutal. Someone like me who talks for a living, you go, oh, what? It's done. But it's the same thing with the interview. If you can kind of master the technique of going through your work, that's the way to do it. And the other thing is definitely put the most recent stuff you do at the start. The one big mistake everyone does is that they put their part one work at the start. And it's like, you just you just finished your part one time, right? The, the, the work you've done now has evolved so much compared to your part one. And the biggest killjoy you can do is start and say let me show you what i did three years ago when i when i didn't know as much so you want to go with the strongest stuff at the start rehearse it with your mom your dad whatever your friends go through that and build up to the day and the other thing is if it's an online interview make sure you're available make sure all your tech works and it's like like me and you before my mic was you know we, we were setting up and it's like we don't want that when it's um you know when it's Mr. Heatherwick on the thing because you're just going to be freaking out and the last thing you want to do is that you want to make sure that your tech's all ready you've told your flatmates stay out of the room you don't want no one knocking you you don't want anything to throw you off the guard but if something like that does happen try to embrace it in a human nature and have a joke about it it's much more better to do that than to freak out and then you're on the back burner but so the short answer to summarize all that uh, preparation understand who they are and get what you've got ready to talk about and be prepared for the the, the final note i'd say is be prepared to have the conversation for them don't go in there thinking you're like Leonardo DiCaprio on Titanic and you've got a script. Because they'll say something in a conversation way and they'll throw you off and you'll be there going, ah, ah, you know, and it's like that. So, you know, sometimes when you're in uni and you, and you watch someone give a really good, have a really good project and then they have the most dull crit and you just, they repeat, they were like, I so today I've got my project and <laughs> I am I have I've developed a oh, sorry let me just uh, let me just I've um I've, oh, and you're like hello I'm right here look at me in the eyes and that's the thing you, I'd much rather someone has a conversation like this and and we free flow and we can spawn, we can get ideas. The thing is, you want to research the basis of what you're doing. You want to keep the key points. You want to talk about your ideas. You want to talk that you can use Revit. The thing is, though, you don't want to go back to Mr. Script Man. Because Mr. Script Man is just it's such a killjoy. It's like everyone turns off. And that's the thing. What you don't, you want to stand out. Yeah. And standing out is having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all about having a discussion and that conversation. It's not about... Them asking you a question, you look down, you read read a script. I hate re- I I could never do that in presentations at uni. I always struggle reading a script because it completely completely throw you off. Awful. I don't know how I don't know how people do it. And also, I'll, to kind of add to what you're saying, I think an important thing is to find something in the company that you also find interesting and that you want to discuss as well. So mm. when they kind of ask you the question of why do you think our place is the right place for you or the right practice for you, you have that that thing that you like about their practice that you can discuss with them. And that kind of sets off a conversation, which you, uh, to kind of settle yourself down, settle them down. And I think that initial conversation is super important. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I saw Hawkins Brown. So Harvinder, he used to actually tutor me in Manchester. He popped down really talented, leads the infrastructure team. And he said the same thing. He's like, when we were hiring a Hocus Brown, we're looking for people who are culturally in line with what we're on about. And I think that's just about 
have an, a genuine interest in the work that the company does, have an interest in architecture, the ability to say, you know, you're prepared to work hard. You're at the start. You can't go in going like, hey, I want this bit. You, you know, these people are going to impart wisdom on you and you're going to learn from them. So you definitely want to be humble about it. And, um, yeah, I think it's, I think, I think it's, nail, it's wanting it as well. Yeah. And I think that the, a conversation where you're like, hey, I don't know everything. I really want this. And I like this company. And I want to be there. And if you've got that energy, then that energy and excitement is way more interesting than script person, you know, it's like, oh, okay. You want someone that when, that when they're on your team is going to help out, is going to learn. And, and ideally you want to hire someone that's going to be with the company for a few years. So you're going to look for that enthusiasm in the interview as an employer. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's, it's super important to express how much you want to learn and develop and discover and explore rather than say, I want to work for you because I can do this, this, and this. You've got to tell them how they are going to be the right place for you to learn and develop. Because at the end of the day, you are going to always explore and learn throughout studying architecture or anything in any industry. So I think that's super important to get that across. Yeah. And the other thing I'd like to add is that it's good to show who you are as a human. So I think that anything you've done, for instance, in charities or anything you've done outside, or even, for instance, you say now you go to a rugby club. So there's one guy, there's one director in particular that, because I'm Welsh and he's Welsh, every time I meet him, he'll just talk about the rugby, right? And this is the thing. I don't even play rugby that much, but I'm like, yeah, of course. I, you know, I like to have a chat with him and he likes to have a, you know, we'll have a drink or something and we'll talk about it. And that's the report. And that's the thing that uh, when I was at part one, that's at the end of the interview, what we talked about is that I, at the time I was fascinated by kinetic architecture. I was like, Tom, this call the project's going to move. It's amazing. And I was all into that. And um, the funny enough, the design director was, he was like, yeah, when I was a student, I was pulling things around in strings. And then we had this like moment, you know, when you're there and he, he, the next day he offered me the job. And it was purely because I kind of, I got above the, the normal and I managed to get his interest and he managed to get mine and he's been like, oh yeah, Steve, he was exactly like me. He's really passionate about all this stuff that's offering. And I was like, yes, you know, and that's the, and that's the thing. And it came from just exposing yourself a little bit. And it's difficult because it's the, it's the balance. You don't want to be like, hey, I've been playing Red Dead for the last two weeks and it's a GTA and you got to, so we want to do it in a professional way and we, and, and uh, you want to, you, you, you want to be human. So like a really good example is getting involved with maybe one or two architecture charities, um, Arctic's Benevolence Society or Article 25. I'm an ambassador for the Arctic's Benevolence Society and it is really good fun and you go to meet people and uh, if I never did it, then you know what, something, what would I be doing sitting around the house? And it's a bit like the social, it's been quite fun to get involved and chat to people. And yeah, it takes up a bit of time, but I find it really rewarding. And when someone enjoys it, that's good. And that's the kind of thing that it'll come across in the interview if you've gone above and beyond or if you're a go-getter. And it goes back to your thing, Tom, if they want to hire someone that's pushing the boundaries, they almost, no one, the person, nine to five, yeah, Okay, it's good that someone can do the drawings, but they really want someone who's going to be like a bustling architect who's passionate, who wants to take on the world. And I think that person with that energy and that raw enthusiasm, you know, when you start now, you're like, it's my job, I'm going to do it. That's who, that's who they're going to hire. Yeah. Okay, so following speaking to people, going into interviews, researching companies, how do you know 
what the right practice is for you. That is, that is super. <laughs> oh, wow. You're really giving me the big ones, aren't you? Okay. How do you know? You know what you don't is the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's really difficult. So, so context back in the old days with me, gosh, in 2009, it was the recession when I was a part one. And I went for interviews and every practice I fell, I was like, no, this one's really the one. You know, I mean, the other place was good, but this one was really good. And the truth is, a lot of places have a lot of different things to offer. Sometimes you'll clearly know, I think it's like, you could, it can be amazing. Sometimes you have like the best website and, you know, they're famous and you go in, like, I'm not too sure. And other times, for instance, a smaller architectural practice, it might be not so famous, but you learn so much. And actually then, I know people have got the small practices and then they go to huge practices, which are famous because they do really well. So I think that the way you know is you can never always know. And it's more about what you think you're going to get out of the opportunity. The thing I would say as well is that I worked in uh, EPR, which was great. And that's why I, I openly talked to the say, yeah, there's definitely a practice worth checking out and applying to. I had a fantastic part one and part two. And sometimes I speak to people and they haven't had such a good time. And I've worked to places, not, um, for instance, I worked in oh, a, a large a shopping retailer. I can't say which one. And I hated it. I hated it. I absolutely hated it, right? And I worked in another place before. I was like, oh, gosh, this isn't for me. And the thing is, it's like sometimes when you go somewhere and you don't like it, it actually reinforces your decision. So sometimes it's important to almost – I've had bad bosses before. And you know when you get a good boss – like now I have a good boss and so the managing director at McDonald company, I get along really well and I respect him. But the thing is like, maybe I would have taken him for granted if I didn't have so many bad bosses. Yeah. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say is with this, look, if you get a job in an architectural practice and maybe they aren't as famous or yeah, you know, everyone wants at one point, wouldn't it be great to work in Foster's partners and stuff? But think about it. I mean, people work really hard there. You can, but another architecture practice, you can get great experience and you can go later. So what I'm trying to say is, don't overthink it. Just think about what you can get out of it right now and think about the people involved. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, I think the important thing is just getting yourself out there, trying it out. And yeah, that's at the end of the day, that's the whole point of getting experience and just testing. Cause you're not going to find what the right practice is for you. Unless you go into that practice, you meet the people, you learn about the culture, you do different types of projects and you begin to learn and develop and understand what kind of things and, what direction you want to go in and what kind of people you like and what kind of environment, etc. You need to, that's the whole point of getting work experience, I think. Yeah. And well, I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to do, cause I know we're a bit of notes before, but a pet peeve, I'm going to look at the camera for this. If you get <laughs> offered an interview and you go, oh, I don't know the rest and you don't go to it, then that is one of the things that I just don't understand because why don't you go and check out the practice for yourself? My biggest pet peeve is when, people write off a company without even going there. So to say, no, you have your practice in the future, you're setting it up. The website might not be there yet, but you're onto something that's going big and people are like, no, I'm not sure. And I tell you what, that you can't afford to be picky right now. And also, if you go for a few interviews, by the time the third or fourth one comes up, which is going to be Heavyweight or the company that you really dreamed of, you're going to be well versed because interviewing is like a skill. And if you literally just write off every company until you go to your perfect one, guess what? You might get really nervous. You might have overthinked it. So don't overthink things. Don't judge a book by its cover. And go, go, go to check out these places. Go to that interview. I'm going to grab the camera and go, like, <laughs> go to that interview. It's really important. Yeah. You know? 
And you mentioned you mentioned being picky there. Should you be picky with George <sighs> in this current climate with COVID? Okay, well, it's always a debate, right? And so with me, I've kind of made my stance on this. You should not be picky. And it's even, I love the social because it's debate. And the thing is, there's no right way. Because sometimes you, I've known there's that jammy guy in the studio that was, I'm like, I sent, I sent my CV to 900 places. And I think I got so many rejections you wouldn't know. And then I got out of that six or seven interviews and I got one, two offers. And one was £12,000 during 2009, and one was £20,000. And so part one Cyrus moved up a little bit. The thing is, though, what was funny is EPR came right at the end, and I had no more interviews in line. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was do or die, and I wanted it. And then they came through. The thing is, I know when people that. So I sent 900 CVs, and I know some people I send out one CV and get the job. Uh, but I do think that is a bit like that is the outlier. That's the 1%. And so my opinion is you can't be picky. And I think probability helps, especially in times like this, of COVID and the economic crisis. And so you have to balance up your own inner ego. Is that the word? You just, you deserve it. You've worked hard. Of course you deserve to work somewhere that's good. Can you afford to be so picky right now in this time where everyone's wearing masks and there's jobs and it's crazy and the world's kind of going all a bit bonkers? I think you should be not, I shouldn't be picky. And then, yeah, I just, I just think that if you're picky, you're really throwing yourselves out to the woods right now because probability counts. And remember, I would rather, if you start with the companies you like, of course, but why not send it out to 500 brilliant companies? You don't need to send it out to 10. And sometimes finding stuff off the beaten track is just as good. So everyone knows about Zara's Every part one in the world is going to apply to Fosters. Do not think any otherwise, right? Because they are. And so why not have a good company, which is famous or off the beaten tracks? Like um, there's a guy, and it was a director from Hairworks called Andrew, who set up his own company. And he just won a big scheme. So, oh gosh, I have to remember the name. Also, for instance, uh, I have a friend called Jonathan Holt. He's a fantastic architect who has his own little architecture practice. Now everyone's going to be writing down scribbles, but I'm not <laughs> going to give any more away. But the thing is, you've got to go out there and look. And the thing is, these are genius people that have worked in a big company and set their own stuff up. And that's a really cool thing, because then you can be part of them building their thing. And maybe the company's not so famous now, they're going to have less applications and you probably, you might even get more attention at a big company. So it's worth thinking about. Yep. I agree. I, I think it's very, I don't th- see how people can be picky at the moment. No. If someone, if someone offers you a job or offers you an interview, you got to bite the hand off. I don't know. Me, why, I don't know why you'd even hesitate. If you think, you about, know what? if you think about how many people are applying for a position, either as a part one or a part two, Think about how many thousands, of people, especially in London, think about how competitive it is and how many people aren't hiring, but they might be hiring one or two people. If someone offers you an interview or a job, you've got to absolutely bite the hands off, I think. I think you're right. That's why I was getting all a bit, you were on another one of my pet peeves here. That's why I'm getting all excited niching my truck. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And this is the other thing that sometimes in what I do in recruitment, sometimes I'll have someone that's... Um, They've got a lot of value, and sometimes they've really fixed in what they want. So being picky, right? And sometimes someone can lose their job or something, and they've got to go, no, 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 Steve, I'm going to hold out for the job that suits. And then 
they're holding out for a long time and we're talking months and sometimes I've had sometimes people turn down a job and this is another good word for you to think Tom because remember part one salaries is a really subjective one okay what is it 20 grand 22 what's my worth and what you got to think is that if you hold out say now there's a job at 18,000 and you think it's a bit low thing is this is a small company and for them it's a lot of money and you're going to get good experience and let's say that you're like oh but my mate he's on 21 grand right let me throw this out to you if you do not take that if you hold back because you're looking for a, a company which is going to pay you more money you're probably going to be looking for another month so that's two grand gone straight away because you're waiting and in that way because when you're the job process you know it's like it takes long you got to meet them and the feedback that's going to take a month so i would especially in your early in your career don't get precious about money because if you're waiting one month that's two grand gone you know yeah. 20 grand salary 12 months a year 1,800 pounds 1,300 left the tax whatever it is gone what you're looking so be be precious about your salary later in your career but your part one and part two uh, really it should be about is this a good company can they give me the experience i want and am i getting paid enough and then the thing is i don't think you should work unpaid i mean there's one or two exceptions i have to the rule where article 25 is a really good charity i do think it's unpaid but you can get a bot and get really good experience and it is a legitimate charity. Other than that, though, anything commercial, I would be very reluctant to advise anyone to work for free. Um, and, and I remember I had um, in 2009 someone to say, look, if you, you know, the reality is we're a small company. If you worked as an intern close to unpaid, we could probably hire you. And I remember saying, I remember speaking to my dad after, I was like, I, I don't know whether I should have taken it or not, but I'm glad I didn't. You know, and the thing is what I said to them is like, look, I need to have a fair salary to live. It's not that I'm looking to rack some money up in the bank per se. It's just that it's going to cost me to get on the bus. It's going to cost me a student accommodation. And I'm not from a background where my parents can financially support me, even though they've been really good and they've been helpful where they can. You know, I grew up in, a, in a, what's it, social housing in, in South Wales, right? So humble roots. And the thing is, I was like, I'd love to go to your practice, but I need to get the bus, you know, and I need to eat a sandwich, which isn't like, uh, at the Asda's non-taste special, you know, it'd be nice to survive. And so, and so that's where, that's where I think is that you do need to ask for a salary that's fair, but do be flexible on it. And don't, I know we all work hard and I know architects, it would be nice to be earned more, but that will come with time. But yeah. salary comes with experience and you need yeah. to get the experience first. Yeah. And it's like you say about the whole 18K thing is that you could be, you could be in an office or a studio where you are really influential in the office. You are learning so much, but you are earning 18,000 or you could be in a huge office where you don't really get that much experience. You kind of just yeah. do bits and bobs and you could be earning 22,000. At the end of the day, the more, the thing that's more important, um, the grand scheme of things is getting that valuable experience and getting that one-on-one -on -one time with whoever or um, going out to site visits and having more interactions with clients. So at the end of the day, Though you may be earning less, you're gaining more experience, more valuable experience that is going to potentially set you up for earning more when you're older. So I think yeah. it's, it's important not to, especially as a part one, I think that the part one, you can't really be picky at all really with salaries. Obviously you say that, say if you were moving to London and you were, um, you needed that extra bit of money because obviously the, the lifestyle and the expenses are going to be more in traveling and uh, obviously rent is obviously going to be more than certain areas 
So you kind of do have to suggest maybe I do need to earn more um, to the practice or be a bit more of a competitive salary. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is getting the experience and getting into a place where you're going to get that one-on-one time with people and gain that really valuable experience. Yeah. You've got to kind of balance it up. You've got to balance it up. Yeah. Get, get yourself the experience first. And the other thing is probably worth mentioning while we hear Tom is that a part, an architectural practice, you will usually have a bracket for a part one salary so that everyone's usually on the same. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very unlikely to compete and uh, sorry to influence that. Whereas if you're a part two or a few years experience, you're going to get paid more than a part two or one year's experience if you've got three. So that changes. But uh, at part one, it really is what you get is what you get. And normally if it's a small architectural practice, a bit further on London, then salaries go down. If you're in, for instance, Foster's Partners in salary in London, I'm not too sure what their current apartment salary, but I imagine it would be like 20,000, 22,000, 23,000. And usually it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then final thing before we get into the Q&A from Instagram is, this is even, this is a question as well. <laughs> what, oh. is, what is the transition like from uni to industry? Ooh, okay, I'm gonna. We could say this in in terms of working and the type of work that you do, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Short answer. I'm gonna do um, one of these webinars on it because it's now a long topic. The short answer is it's a big change. You're gonna have a big shock to the system. I remember, and I remember when I went, I was like, "Yeah, that was fine." And I got a bit nervous on the day. I'm like, oh, Tom, I can't go. I don't know what I'm doing. This isn't Waitrose where I was doing the chickens." And you get there, and you're like, "Hello." And uh, you learn, and you, uh, you're gonna be you're gonna be nervous, and it's completely normal. And uh, you get better at it, and you get better and better. But it is a shock, and it is very different. And what I would say is that. On one hand, it's super exciting because it's real and it's there. On the other hand, uh, you know, you, you just started, okay? You're not going to be designing right straight away. I was lucky that I did quite a lot of visual. I had a really cool team. Although the first day that I worked in architecture was uh, on the first day and I worked the weekend because the deadline was gone. It was my choice and I was buzzing at the time. And I remember speaking, ringing my mate up after, I'm like, you know, I can't work this weekend. He's like, you what? And I'm like, mate, I don't understand. I'm enjoying it. I'm on a project. And that's the thing. You're going to be excited. It's going to be cool. But it's also, you're going to be working on so sometimes you can do stuff which is really nice collaging the other thing is uh, you will be the guy or I was the guy that went and like printed stuff out and folded the drawings and you know you will make the cup of tea and it's make a bit of respect coffee, yeah. and fun yeah in, in a nice way and I was they always did it with me with a bit of a tongue and a cheek and I did the same way and over time you build a bit of rapport and then you know sometimes then you can be like when you develop trust then you can start influencing and it's really good to have an opinion and you know, always free to, feel free to do that. Don't overcompensate there and go on day one. Be you, you know, you're rocking up top and you're like, wow, do they? You know, you've got to be humble. But say your opinion, like, I really like that or I think this is a really good, out of the three options that you've done, I really like option number one. That stuff's really cool. And the more you do that is you develop trust and rapport. So the boil it back down, the transition's going to be big. It's going to be different. Um, and it's different for everyone. So I did quite well academically. And then it took me, uh, it was a bit of a culture shock at first. And in the end, I started getting good in the office. I've got a friend who was uh, not very good in academia. He was always rubbing 
bats, uh, you know, bats heads with the, the two and stuff. And in practice now, he's like the main man and he knows so much stuff. Although when we'd have a pub quiz, he was always the annoying friend that knew everything and then I knew mm-hmm. nothing. But he was, um, the thing is, he's really good. And what I'm trying to say is, say, no, you got a 2-1 or a 2-2, two, two, so more importantly, a 2-2 two, two or a 2-3, right? I've seen people on their part two that had a 2-2 two, two, and then they get a first I've got one friend that was in the zine and then now he works in Richard Rogers and he had a two-two. So you can change stuff. And it was really him working in practice, which kind of propelled it. Cause so what you're in for is in, you're in for an, in, actually an inciting thing because some people learn more on the year out than before. So it's the unknown. Go into it with an open mind frame. The thing is though, it's a strange one. Until you've done it, it's really hard to explain. Mm-hmm. So when you go, you're going to be nervous, but you're going to learn so much. And it's going to be, it's going to, I loved it. And I don't regret it at all. Uh, I just didn't know what I was going in for, put it that way. And no one will know what they're going in for. Because even nah. I, even I, when I did summer work experience for three months, I was, when I got there, I was in a bit of a, a shock as well. <laughs> obviously at university, you, you're quite creative and you, you're obviously testing things and whatnot. And then when you go into practice, it's obviously a lot more, um, especially for a part one really you, you just you you turn up to to gain some experience really to see what it's like to work in a practice and um, what kind of people you interact with and what it, the kind of setup is and you're there to understand the kind of basics rather than you're not I wouldn't expect to go into a practice and be really involved in a lot of things because at the end of the day you're probably not going to be because at the end of the day you need to build up that trust and you, they need to understand what you're capable of because it's all good having all this amazing stuff on your CV and you've done this, you've done that, but they need to be able to see that from, from their perspective and gain that trust from, from their side of things. It is, yeah. it is a mad transition and I'm, I'm looking forward to it to be fair. I'm looking forward to it when I eventually, hopefully if I get, if I get a job, you'll um, get there. We'll get there one day. <laughs> you will get there soon. Don't worry. Just keep pushing. But yeah, don't, I think you're on the summit. Don't be. Don't worry. Don't have imposter syndrome. They're not expecting you to know everything. I remember rocking up, and you're like, "How do I detail? Like, how do I do it? Do I have it. no clue, right?" And it's about your ability to learn and ask things. Like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. And then one guy in the thing be like, "Look in this book, mate. Everything's there." But then, like, but then, but then on the other side of things, a lot of people might not really enjoy the university experience and get into practice and absolute thrive straight away because that is the kind of work and the kind of environment that they prefer than university. So it goes yeah. both ways. You can, some people may, cause I know people at university who really like the kind of engineering side of things, doing the detailing and at university we didn't really get to do much of that. So when you go into practice, he'll obviously get a lot more into that and getting, um, and he'll be quite comfortable in that environment. So there's, there's, there's other ways of looking at it. You may yeah. enjoy university experience and being creative, and then you might find the transition a little bit difficult. But if you're at university and you're not really um, into that kind of side of things, you might find you much prefer being in practice. So you just, once again, it's one of those things where you've got to get the experience to understand whether you enjoy it and what, what's, what's the kind of right environment to be in for you. 
Yeah. By doing it, you'll have an opinion. As you're in the year out, you go, I absolutely loved it. And you'd be pumping or you might do something different because I really enjoyed my part one and part two. The thing is, though, and we can talk about this down the, down the other line as well. Some people go on to do different things from it. And you touched upon it where some architects can be project managers. Some can be really good engineers. I went into recruitment and we were talking a bit about my friend who's now got this big YouTube channel as well. And he does that full time. But the thing is, it was because he worked in architecture and he studied that it got him there. And so what, what I would say is I, the worst thing I think I would have ever done is that if I, at the time I didn't do my part, I didn't do part one experience and I wrote it off because even though, because what I do now is built upon that experience and that's why uh, I specialize in architectural recruitment and career mentoring is because I've been there. So it helps a lot more and then it makes it more interesting for me. But it, it goes back to your thing of uh, the, the, the thing I touched on. Let's say worst case, we're really struggling with jobs at the moment because, hey, it is a not a good time. Mm-hmm. Then keep being busy, work on a building site or get anything involved or anything creative. The uh, Again, Harvinder said this on Hawkins Brown. Uh, he did like a five top quick things and basically you've got to keep the creative juices flowing so it's like you're doing this podcast right now okay that's more productive than uh i don't know the boys season two on amazon which i will watch and it'll be cool but you do that after and you've got to keep active you've got to keep engaged and you've got to be you've got to keep thinking architecture or you've got to keep drawing you've got to do that and that will help with the transition so to answer your question in a weird way if you go straight into an architecture practice great embrace it and be prepared to learn stuff on the go and, and be prepared to just remember you don't need to know everything. You just need to go in there with an open mind. And if you struggle at the moment because it's a bit difficult, try to do things laterally. Get involved with arts, uh, get involved with anything building on site labor, anything construction, anything surveying, anything, or even just, you know, do anti Maureen's uh, house conservatory and do anything just to keep it going. Because when you do get that interview, then you sit and I would find it really impressive someone that struggled. And so, uh, again, on the social, there was one, there's my friend Nassar, and he did the same thing in part one where he struggled, Tom, and he got one job one week here and two months here and worked on the site. And in the end, now he's an associate at BDEP. But what he had to do during that time is he had to struggle and get little bits here, little bits there, little bits. And it was enough in the end. So you've got to keep going. Okay, nice one. We'll, we'll dive into some questions that we've got from Instagram. The first one is, is you've kind of touched on it, but we're going to see if you've got any more. What is a pet peeve of architectural recruitment? Obviously, apart from the fact that people don't turn up for interviews. Have you got any? Oh, got oh any that's, the, that's the worst, because I believe it's honesty policy. If me and you, it's like respect, right? And if you say, the, be- the what I've learned about recruitment, I never push people into jobs because it always goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're culturally, you don't feel it in kind of Heatherwick and then uh, I, I try to convince you to do it, then that's not going to work because you're going to go there and be like, well, Steve, you just told me a bunch of rubbish. Yeah. And I always, what I do is I encourage people to go for interviews. And the worst thing, it goes back to what we talked about before. It's the number one pet peeve. People going, hey, I'm not impressed. Why? You know, not you haven't met them. Mm. You know, so that's number one. Two, definitely do your spellings and and go over that stuff. And you're right because it is. Yeah, I'm not too bothered basic. about it, but yeah. But there's a chap that I work with, and he's so good. He's been doing it for twenty years, and he literally scanned the page, and he would go, 
I can't send the CV out with all these spellings. And then I have a look at it and go, oh, my, oh yeah, there's, there's everything there. Because what it is is distracting. So mm-hmm. that one, then huge file sizes. Uh, that's another pet peeve. And too much images. Because imagine this is like Tinder now. And I have a short, I have a short attention span, so you need to like wham bam me. And when I've got like Lord of the Rings, it just goes on and on and on. So, 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 for, so for a portfolio that you send off, how many pages do you think? Just to clear that one up, how many pages do you think a portfolio should be when you send it off? I'm reluctant to say because everyone's going to be like, "Oh, well, you said 15, and I did 16, and uh, oh, I did 14." So it's about the feel of it, and it's about the ride. So it, the whole thing needs to read that I've got this feeling. Think of it like a checklist, right? So it's like an elevator pitch. I've got one minute in this portfolio for someone watching it to entice them. So you've got to grab their attention and you've got to tick all their boxes. So in this document, and that's why I say typically 10 to 15 pages because anything longer you drags on, you've got to be like, boom, draw technical detail. Here's some drawings. Here's some revenue examples. Here's the work I've done in industry where I did in my summer job. You mentioned you were at. Here's that extra how many people have done that? No, I have it here. Here's some technical drawings. Here's my Revit model. Then here's my power free work. And so the person, basically, it's like, basically what we're on about is the portfolio. It's less about how many pages. Mm-hmm. It's more about how don't you, like, it's, you, you know, as a fellow YouTuber, it's how do you stop, how do you keep people engaged? Mm-hmm. And if we, if we in here bang on for ages about the same points, yeah. and if we're dull, so it's the borderline of being entertaining, hello, and all this stuff. And then it's like, you know, keeping someone interested. Like, oh, you're going to keep looking. And the same thing in a portfolio sheet. It's like, oh, okay, you're going to keep looking. Basically, you want someone to be like, oh, I just flicked through it. It was good. And then it's not too long. Yeah. And they're like, oh, and then they ring it, you ring you up. You don't want someone sending like a million technical drawings. And like, oh, my God, this is so boring. Yeah. Yeah, so I answered it in a crazy yeah. way. No, okay, cool. That was good. I think I think it's super important to. I would personally say just try and keep it as short as possible, even if that means five pages. If that shows yeah. every, if that shows everything that you want to get across and all the important things, and that's that's fine. Like, do not send anything that is going to be a full hundred page portfolio and whatnot. Because if they, at the end of the day, if they want to see more and they want to know more about the project, they're going to call you for an interview. And that is your opportunity to dive more into the project. So don't try and show them everything um, when you first apply and send off your CV and portfolio, et cetera. The, the idea is, is to entice them in, show them what kind of work you can do, what kind of work um, you're capable of, and then you show them in the interview, and et cetera. And that's, um, I think that's super important. So don't try and show them everything in, um, in when you kind of first apply. Next, yeah, it, next question. It, oh. Go on. No, do it. Let's go. See what Twitter's got to say or Instagram. Come on, Instagram. How, how, how important is, well, we kind of already answered this. How important is getting experience during summer holidays of uni? Yeah, it's important. If you yeah. can, it's important. I mean, I, 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 got, um, I couldn't get a job in architecture practice, but what I did is um, what really helped me in the interview was I worked part-time at Waitrose. So it, what I was talking about was, working in a professional environment and supporting myself in something I believed by doing another job. And that carried a lot of weight. And the other thing I did was that I served them, um, oh, I worked in a festival and I was literally pouring pints in the festival. And you imagine, right? It was just absolutely chaos. Thing is yeah, though, it was good in that way. Yeah, because I was saying like it was highly stressful situations and, you know, I uh, everyone tried to 
Nick B is off me and you know yeah hey, all this stuff and the thing is we were talking about that and then also the other thing that really helped was that during the university I did an extra extra little tidbit with a company called Jason Bruce Studio and you should definitely check them out and they do all these like cool interactive lights and exhibitions and what was good in the interview was that I could talk about that so because what it is it adds another flavor to your academic work and so that yeah it definitely definitely helps and if you haven't got in okay you haven't got it you need to start thinking about what you've done I mean if you've literally sat there on that uh, you've done your uni work and you haven't done anything else then yeah you've Okay, you you you've got less to go in with. Think of it like ammunition. The more stuff you have like this, the more well equipped you are. More like feathers to the bow. And so, if is if you don't have it, maybe you should start thinking about doing something now. Signing up to a charity now. Doing something now while you're looking. That's that can be quite useful. Super, super, super important. I can't. I always tell people how important it is to get experience. And obviously, it's difficult to find that because. It's not easy to get yourself out there, but I was very lucky to get in a position where I could get um, some work experience. And I, I can't say how important it was for me in, like, say, for if when you're applying for a company and they, they want someone to use Revit and for, then, for you to then go into that interview and say, well, I've used Revit and industry experience during my first year at university, during my summer, that is instantly going to put you so much further ahead of someone who hasn't got any work experience. And even even when I did it, in first year, it completely shaped the way I worked in second year because I knew how people work in practice and I wanted to begin to shape my my experience and my work and um, the softwares that I use, et cetera, to begin to put me in a better position. So for when I come out of my part one, I was already thinking in a, in a similar way to um, how practitioners are, are thinking and it's it it completely shapes your experience at university and you like like we said it would be a shock and it's obviously difficult to then transition back to university work but it is super important yeah um how do i find studios and teams i can apply for a job that doesn't make, that doesn't really make sense but i think i know what you mean it's like where do you look for jobs so job boards you're going to find one or two, but everyone's going to look at the job board. I would start going on Google Maps. I'm kind of working on something now where it would be nice to almost have a directory of all the companies that everyone can use. The thing is, you've kind of got to go out there and get it yourself right now. So the um, think of it this way, though. The harder it is almost for you to find out the information about the company, it's harder it's going to be for everyone else. And so sometimes you can get really good companies, which are just not um, perceived. Well, they're not well-known maybe to you, but in their world they are. So a really good example might be something like Lena Designs, mm-hmm. who um, maybe they, they don't win all the awards. Um, they, you know, they're not regarded in the, the same circles as Heatherwick, but Lena Designs are amazing for retail, and they're really known as like Leonard. I think his name's David Leonard. Really. Yeah. He is the man. Yeah, that, and the that's, point that's, is, that's who I work for. Yeah, oh, and then it's, there you go, there yeah. you go. That's, so you get it, it's that they're really well regarded in, in retail, and I didn't know that until I worked with them on in architecture. And the thing is, though, you're not going to find them maybe on design. Maybe you will every now and then with them all. But the thing is that you can still learn a lot. You can, and that, so you want to learn in design. I mean, that's a good company. Mm-hmm. And so that's the point. You, by you going out and getting that experience, 
you're in a lot more of a stronger position than going to another interview saying that you've looked at leather designs. And so that's the, that's my point is you to go out there. How do you find stuff? Well, let me tell you, asking people, how do you find stuff? That ain't going to, you got to get on Google and you're going to go looking, you're going to go deep. And you just be smart about it. I, I remember, I think I did it that, there used to be a, a reader list of all the companies and I went A to Z in London. I went on every website and I literally emailed everyone. I was like the postman with my CV and just went brr, 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 brr. and I think what I would do now if that list is not available, I would probably get on Google Maps and I would start out where you're, you're living So and I would just geographically go out and then, mm-hmm. so you know, I'm in Manchester, I would go through all the areas like that and then if I was in London I would literally just target every area and then I would click on them on there and then go on their website and quickly look the director something like that address it to the director's name dear Alan I am interested in your architectural practice and then mm-hmm. send the CV off yeah yeah and then a couple, a couple of things that I would say is that say if you were to find a piece of work that you were interested in and you kind of were drawn to do some research into what practice they are and yeah. then also find practices related to them or similar practices and that's also another way to find what kind of practice and what kind of work you would want to kind of get into and what kind of practice they or what kind of stuff they do so it's a good way to kind of find a practice that you really like and then look at related practices that's one way i would say um, yeah and also um another thing is that if if companies aren't advertising a job don't let that stop you from applying and contacting people because a lot of people think, well, there's, there's nothing being advertised. There's nothing out there to apply for. But I think it's super important to apply for jobs, even if they're not being advertised just to get yourself out there. And even if they don't want anyone or even places that aren't hiring and they've said they're not hiring, still send your CV and your application out there to get some feedback or, um, or just anything from anyone. Cause any feedback at all, it would be, would be amazing for anyone to um yeah definitely yeah just, just getting yourself out there um and and what once once again researching is just super important i'm not going to sit here and tell you what what's the right place for you you have to go out there and research and find out for yourself what kind of work and what kind of environment and what kind of studio culture etc you you kind of want to explore yeah i think i think you, you hit the nail on the head that sometimes advert um openings are not advertised on the website because and and actually what you might do is you might send your cv and there is no job and then two days later they decide they need a part one and hey ho look with cv sitting in the inbox ready to go they're like oh should we put an ad over yet you go oh no hang on tom let's just see you i've got a few here maybe you want one or two here and then suddenly you've gone whoop you're in and and then they go well we'll advertise the role if none of these are good and then so all you got to do is go in, be a charming self. And they go, oh, this is get on and I'm sure he'd be fine. He's, you know, he was at Leonard and I met him and he was nice. He was good in the room. Just do that. And suddenly, because what, what is supposed to happen there is you've saved them a lot of time and stress mm-hmm. by looking. And it was, and all this happened is because of what you said of you, you basically sent your CV when they say, do you know what? EPR didn't post a job on their website, part ones. I remember I sent it off and they're like, oh yeah, but start looking for part ones. And there was loads. And I think I was, I remember there was three batches and I remember going into the interview with Tom and the last thing I said about it is that he was like, oh yeah, I saw two people yesterday. I'm definitely going to offer them. So, you know, 
there's not many spaces left that I've ever been getting. No. He said and, that to you. Yeah, but he said it in a nice way. He's like, oh, I've hired three people. And the thing is, I met two guys today and I've got a few people tomorrow. So, you know, and he, but he said it in a, in a way. And in my head, I was like, I'm not going to let that stop me. You think yeah. I'm like, I'm having that third space. You know, yeah. I was like, there's no ifs or buts. And that's the thing. It's like, I joke about the M&M in the moment, but there's something about when you're there and it's like you're almost like a sniper scope you line up the opportunity and you're like you know what i am not letting it go and if you, you when you're in the zone to the point that we're on about and it's even like this chat i've got no notes and we're just here and when you're just here in the moment and you're going for it then there's, there's a feel about that in an interview and i think that's what gets you the job awesome that's all that's all the questions that I've got, and I, think that was, I think that was a super good discussion because I know there's a lot of people out there who are struggling in finding positions and obviously your main thing is in recruitment and the architecture social is finding places for part one um, and obviously providing information for your webinar, etc. So I think that was a really, really um, informative discussion. So thanks, thanks a lot for coming, for coming on, Steve. Do you, do you want to plug yourself at all? Sure. So... Plug myself. Oh wow, this is this is a new one. I, let's talk about the social. So there we go. Join www.architectursocial.com. So it's it's an open platform. And the thing is, there's a lot of part ones and part twos looking for a job right now. And the thing is, we're a community. And so I help out there a little bit. But you know what? The community helps themselves. And when you're job looking, it's a bit lonely, it's a bit frustrating. So everyone's there, it's helping each other out. And as more than that when someone gets a job, you celebrate together. When you, you get rejected, we'll all have a little, you can cry on my shoulder, we'll have a little tear. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's what it's about. And that's what I've enjoyed. So I've learned a lot from it, but you can find me there. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I do work at McDonald Company, which is a great recruitment company. However, I'm probably going to be more useful to you in terms of recruitment in the future. And that's why we set up the social is, uh, to help yourself right now. I'm more than happy to kind of talk about this. Uh, You've got to do the first job in industry. And in the future, one day, hey, I might be finding people for your team, or we might be talking about a more tailored approach and where you want to move. And that is a little bit more, that is a very tailored thing. Because once you work in industry in a few places, that changes over time. Okay, plug over. Hey, done. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Um, Hey, no problem. Thank you for everyone. That is watched or listened to this, uh, the number one student podcast in the world. If you've got any questions, just drop me um, a message on Instagram, which is at Tom Rose Studios, um, or drop Stephen a question on his LinkedIn. Um, and if you've got any questions and you're watching this on YouTube, just drop down a comment down below. That'd be much, much appreciated. So yeah, thank you as always for watching and listening to the more student podcast in the world. See you next time.